You're listening to Inside the Boardroom from Onboard. I'm your host, Adam Wire from Onboard. On today's show, we'll hear a conversation with Eric Hanberg, author of The Little Book of Boards, an essential primer for nonprofit board directors. And on this episode, he'll share how boards of any stripe can right-size their committee structure and get better outcomes from committee assignments by making them the workhorse of the board. Very happy to to introduce today's guest uh, on the podcast. We're, we're joined by Eric Hanberg, who's best known as the author of The Little Book of Boards, uh, among other uh, nonprofit board governance uh, titles. And he's also a sci-fi or speculative fiction writer. Uh, great to have you here on the show, Eric. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Uh, where, are you, where are you joining us from today? I am in Tacoma, Washington, just a little bit south of Seattle. Oh, great. So you're very clear of the, uh, the uh, wildfire smoke coming down from Canada, I hope. I, yeah, that was our last summer. So we, we skipped <laughs> it this year so far. That's great. Yeah, we've had a little bit of that flavor here uh, down in Indianapolis, which is interesting. So great. Um, so Eric, you joined us for our Atlas Leadership Series webinar, and, and your topic was um, getting more out of your board's committees. Uh, really love that presentation and really happy you can join us for today's podcast as well. Um, I guess to start off, what, what do you, as a nonprofit board governance uh, consultant or expert, what do you find is the most challenging aspect of uh, committee work for, for nonprofit boards? I think uh, sometimes boards just have trouble even like starting up committees. You know, what should they do? What committees do they need? And so often they just work as, you know, what you might call like a committee of the whole. The whole board just is every committee um, and then everything's at the board meetings. The next thing is, is that when they start to maybe get their committees going, there's a tendency to just rehash everything again at the board. So they have a finance committee, they have a governance committee, whatever it is. And those groups meet. And then at the board meeting, someone says, are there any updates from the governance committee? And then it's like this whole rehash of the governance committee again. And nothing happens, nothing changes. And so those are some of the things that I see as being the the real endemic problems with boards and committees is they really, boards can really rely on their committees to be like workhorses. And all too often, they just end up doing all the work themselves anyway. So it's almost like, yeah, duplicating the effort, um, despite having the committee to, to take up that workload, right? Right. They, they, they don't delegate, they don't uh, trust um, they, they supersede sometimes too often. So those are some of the things that, that I think boards can really, um, change that relationship for the better. Great. And to touch on this a little bit, do you feel like this is, in, as you mentioned, endemic, is it is specific in nonprofit governance, or do you see this with other board governance, uh, in different sectors or well, or is, is, do you feel like this is something that's particular to non nonprofits? Um, most of my experiences with nonprofits, so I will will focus there. I do think that there is any time you have groups of people and multiple groups of people who are all interacting with each other, there is uh, questions of how do we relate if it's not specifically and clearly written down. Um, you know who's who's got the who's got the ball, who's got the decision making. Um, these questions often come up when there's not intentionality created with why we created this. You know, we want this event planning committee to do this thing. And then they come back and they do it and you say, no, 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 not like that. And it's like, well, then 
why did you create the committee? So um, that's that I think happens in a variety of places, but nonprofits which rely on people to do this and volunteer their time, I think it's are percip- <laughs> particularly susceptible to it. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like having a really strong vision and, and purpose, I and mean, even maybe a, a you know a very clear committee charter is is part of that that first step of better effectiveness with your committees. Committee charters do help. Um, they they lose their teeth pretty quickly because once they're done, everyone forgets about them. <laughs> In my experience, um, I think the you know it's it's norms and systems of operation. Norms being just like you know how do we go about our work? It's not written down, but this is how we do it. And if you can create better norms, sometimes just having a board president or a secretary, you know, an officer, a leader on the board say, um, we don't need to rehash this. Uh, Just having someone step up can be enough. Um, Some of the norms that I really think are important, one of them um, is like a committee shouldn't be on the agenda at the board meeting unless um, they have a recommendation, you know, like we we have a recommendation for you or unless they have like a, a, a question essentially that they want to ask the board for input on. Like we need um, the finance committee needs input on the, this year's budget. Should we uh, should we have a stretch goal? And this is just a question that they ask early on in the process, should we have a stretch goal? There's a short discussion about should we have a stretch goal for our membership or for our fundraiser? And then it comes back to the committee. So that avoids the situation that I described earlier, where it's just like, what are your updates? And then you just kind of talk about what you've been talking about, and then all of the board sounds sounds off on it. And so if you can have that focused um, diligence, where it's like, you know, maybe you can send a report via write in writing before a board, you know, like with a board packet. That's a great way to do it. Um, but first of all, and sorry, I got <laughs> wrapped up in my own words there. Um, you can report that way. But if you're going to be on the agenda, um, I think it should be really focused as to why. And that also saves the board a lot of time. And the board can then use that time for other things as well. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, yeah, that's like a lot more kind of either you have a, a, a very specific question or you have a very specific outcome that the committee has created that, that's reporting into the board. Yeah. And the, the other norm that I think, and I lingered on this one a lot in the presentation, is that when a committee brings that recommendation forward, here's our new policy on conflict of interest or term limits, or here's our new budget, whatever it is, um, that there be a norm that the board doesn't try to pass it at that meeting. And I really think that that is really important because it takes pressure off of the board to feel like they have to act right then. And if there's something that people don't like or disagree about, there's pressure to fix it in the moment. And that can lead to um, not just board conversation, board rewriting, you know, overruling what the committee did, but um, a lot of hurt feelings. It can lead to... Uh, people digging in and taking sides on the things that they didn't really care about, but someone said something that made them mad, and now they're invested in it. Um, the longer that discussion goes, the more likely I feel like things like that could happen. So if the the governance committee says, we have this new uh, draft of how we're going to handle terms, and we bring it to the board, if they then take that feedback, and then at the end of that discussion, you know, you can still have a robust discussion. 
at the end of it, they say, thank you. We will take this back to the committee and we will consider it. And that just relieves all of the stress. Um, the board, you know, can still send feedback via email later. It's not like it's closed forever. But the idea being like, we don't have to f- fix it in the moment. We can just move on to the next piece of business. And then the committee gets together and they're like, wow, people really didn't like that. Um, and then they can kind of talk through it and like, well, you know, the, this is the thing. If we fix this one thing, not the eight things, but the one thing, I think that we have something that reflects what they want and keeps what we're trying to do. And when that committee then brings it back the the next month and says, we heard you, these are some of the things that we've been thinking about. Here's how we changed it based on your feedback. Most of the time, the board will feel heard, even if their particular thing wasn't addressed. um, Most of the time, just by like letting the air out of the balloon before you try to pass it can help make that one go in five minutes. It's 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 just it took it, it took a month longer in terms of calendar time, but in terms of board time, it takes less time and there's less emotion, stress, anxiety around a decision like that. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I, I think that's one of the, the biggest factors that, that, as you said, people get wrapped up with in board means it's a finite amount of time to get a lot of decision making done amongst a, a, a very diverse set of individuals. Right. So that's. Um, that's a tough, um, that's a tough amount of time to get a lot of work done. And I love the idea that, um, having that passed back to the committee almost, uh, kind of leads the old adage, right? Uh, you, you know, you make a better decision when you can sleep on it or you have time to digest the information. So I love that. That's great. Yeah. And that, this is especially true because so many nonprofits don't do what they should do about like emailing things in advance. They don't have a good board packet put together a week in advance. It's all kind of ramshackle. You know, most of the time that's fine. But if there is something that is a little bit controversial, those things start to really show the the where because that that's where people are like, you know, I can't believe I didn't get to see this in advance. They, they just get up in a huff. Um, most of the time it's probably not a big deal, but that's when you see how that that part of a board culture, especially at, at a nonprofit, can really come back to bite them. Yeah, and I, I think you uh, we, we mentioned this a little bit in the, in the pre-show chat. Um, it, you, you touch on something that I think is really important to, to consider when you're thinking about nonprofit board governance is that the majority of time it's it's volunteers. The majority of time it's people who have a day job and they they might be passionate about a cause or they were asked by a friends or they were uh, they have a particular skill set that that they're volunteering. Um, that's a little bit different than in, in per- professional board governance settings, uh, where where the board work is is an expectation of your of your profession, right? Right, and um, has uh, you know, a monetary benefit to you, I, I guess. Since it, you know, usually, um, so I I look at this. And that's where the role of like the executive director can come in, because most of the time the executive director is paid and they can help change the culture um, in these ways by supporting the work of the volunteers, helping to make sure that they're coming, you know, with here's everyone's agenda, um, offering, hey, I'll write up something about that for you for consideration. Um The executive directors can really change the culture in terms of do they invite these people in to think about um, decisions? You know, an executive director who's trying to balance, do we want to be highly efficient or highly resilient? Um, 
could have that as a deliberation in their head, even if they don't know how to put it exactly in those words. Um, That could be something that they're thinking about. But if they take that to the finance committee, that lets the finance committee in. That lets the finance committee like really sink their teeth into something that's really valuable. Um, And so I do think also the executive director's role and how they support the committees can also improve them as workhorses of the board, as I keep coming back to that that term. Um, if the if the executive director is willing to give them work, they can do the work. Mm-hmm. And then um, to kind of segue a little bit in, in terms of uh, going back to you joined us for an Atlas webinar presentation, which I thought was great. You had a really great rubric for um, right-sizing the amount of committees uh, for your board based on the number of seats your, your board uh, features. So I was wondering if you could walk the, the audience through that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's math. You know, take out your calculator if you haven't done math in a while. But take the number of board members that you have and divide by three. And that's probably a pretty good sense of how many committees you could create. So a board of seven, you know, that's roughly uh, two committees because you can probably have one of three and and uh, one of four or something like that. Or your board president often doesn't sit on a committee, uh, also known as they sit on all of them. Um, it's kind of how that's, that's framed. So two committees of three people. Um, boards like to do work in groups, you know, committees of, I have heard of boards trying to do committees of one um, even committees of two is almost not, that's just a phone call. That's not a committee. Um, <laughs> it's, it's too small. And if one person's there, then no, you know, you can't, you can't do anything anymore. So, um, people are on boards because in theory, they, they like that group experience to some extent. Um, let's lean into that with that. So, so I also will just note, I don't count like an executive committee in that, Boards should activate the officers of their board as the executive committee. That's usually the president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, maybe past president. Um, and that those officer roles are a little bit different. So I think it's really two two committees for that group of seven. If you have nine, you can probably get three. Um, maybe you can find a non-board member to fill out a seat. But that's a, a rough guide. Um, that said... The, the, the math falls apart if you have a giant board. Someone asked about this in the, in the presentation, and it was a good note. If you have 21 board members, which, you know, God help you that you have 21 board members, but if you have 21 board members, you probably don't need seven committees. Um, so at some point, you know, after like four or five, you're probably uh, stretching the, the limits of committees. Right. It's almost kind of a Goldilocks thing and you want to have that, that sweet spot right in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and then what should those those default committees be, uh, especially for smaller boards? Um, is You know, we, we talked a little bit about, yeah, if you have an, an ad hoc event coming up, such as a fundraiser, you need to have a fundraising committee. But what should the standing committees be for each nonprofit board? Yeah, um, I I'm always going to go to finance first. Um Boards have a legal and a fiduciary responsibility to the organization, and finance should be high on that list uh, of committees because of that that legal obligation. There's uh, benefits to the executive director from having other people who are familiar with the numbers, not just the treasurer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are benefits to the treasurer to having and to the entire board to having a small group of people who are familiar with the numbers, because what happens is 
if you don't have a finance committee, invariably the treasurer says, I'm ready to step down. Who's going to take over? And it's just, you know, silence because no one wants to do it. And usually it's like, well, we don't know the numbers. Um, it's the, the most common excuse. If you have a functioning finance committee that uh, can look at the numbers, you know, the numbers are the numbers. We're not uh, casting, you know, oh, no, that you're down too far this month. Like, this is a group that should be able to engage in these things. Um, and if you can have a couple people who at least are more familiar than the rest of the board, you have a much better chance of finding next year's treasurer. Um, <laughs> so that those are the that's why I go for finance first. And then the other one to consider is like a board development committee, could be governance, you could call it board development, Um, you know, spend half of the year improving the policies or procedures of the board. So you might um, look at your conflict of interest policy for a couple months, or you might um, review uh, the, you know, get get the, the, the retreat set up. Maybe you're the committee charged with getting a board retreat going. Um, and then you spend, you know, the last four months of the year on uh, the nominations process and, and recruiting and nominations and orientation to get the new board ready to go. That's a full year and you've done a lot of good um, on that committee. So those two committees for most boards is probably pretty great. Yeah. And I, I think you would mentioned this during the webinar as well. You keep coming back to that, but the, uh, the other <laughs> kind of... Um, uh, default standard or, or just uh, called a, a firewall, so to speak, of, of the finance committee is is uh, ensuring uh, less risk of fraud. If you have a, a finance director who, who may not be on the up and up, if somebody else is looking at those numbers, you, you could have a lot more accountability and transparency there. Yeah. Um, if, if the default is, oh, you know, we just let Jerry deal with that and everyone just lets Jerry deal with it, that's putting a lot of trust in Jerry. Um, not that you're not trustworthy, but who's to say, um, but yes, having other people who are engaged in the numbers, who understand what, you know, this line means and what this number means. And, um, you know, you're probably not having an entire finance committee committing fraud together. So, so yeah, it is definitely a a protection. Be a very, uh, very effective committee if they were to. (laughs) Unusually effective. Um, where do you, th- so we, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, committee structure and the right, you know, t-shirt sizing for committees to your, your board seats, so to speak. Where do you feel like most people get really wrapped around the axle when it comes to board work, especially in the nonprofit space? Uh, what's, what's kind of the most challenging thing for somebody coming who may not have previous board uh, experience? Uh, just in general, not just committees? Yeah. Yeah. Committees and or just board work in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people expect board work to be doing the operations of the organization. Um, there was a theater in Tacoma that that closed. This was almost 20 years ago now. Um, they put on plays. They, they were very popular. They hit on hard times and they closed. And in the paper, when they closed, they just brought on this new board member. Um, and she, she was quoted in the newspaper saying, I thought we got to pick the plays. And I was so sad for her and for the board. Like, here's this organization months away from closing. And they bring on a new board member and no one had told her in advance, like, what we do. Um, And this is, it's a challenge for boards because most of the time um, we want to be on the theater's board because we like plays. 
You know, we want to like, like we think we are going to be involved in something. Um, and usually we're at a much higher level. We're planning, we're fundraising. You know, it's it's a it's not necessarily a tactile experience like, uh, you know, being on the board of a soup kitchen and working Sunday morning, you know, feeding breakfast uh, to the folks coming through are two very different ways to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and people need to be clear which which one they're they're getting. And committees are um, you might be the workhorse of the board, but you are still sitting in a room or on a Zoom call. Um, and it's not that tactile experience that you might find in, an, in another way of volunteering. That's, yeah, I, I love that you put it that way, especially the just the dichotomy of, you know, on the ground, uh, practical, tactical um, contributions versus the more, I wouldn't say esoteric, but strategic decision making and, and you know, mitigating risk and, and ensuring there's good governance. Those are two very different things. And bo- um, both incredibly, incredibly important, um, obviously, but uh, not everyone resonates uh, with with one or the other. Mm mm-hmm. um, from your experience, what is what is one skill set that you find lacking in nonprofit boards, especially as you know it, they're initially forming? Or is there is it a finance background? Is it a marketing background? Says the marketer. Um, is it a just a governance background in general? Or uh, when you say as as it's forming, I think it's definitely people who haven't been on a board before, and so they're not quite sure where the culture should be or what they should be doing, and they spend their board meetings, um, you know, proofreading the brochure. Um, or something like that. And so early on, that's that's definitely uh, one of the, the most common things that I see. Later, um, I think that as, as the board is older and more mature, um, sometimes you're lacking legal, business, finance. There might be something like that. It's often hard to get a lawyer to join your board, to get the accountant to join your board. And we often think that they will be our lawyer, they will be our accountant, which is not usually how it works. Um, so that's one of those places where where that can happen. And then, you know, the, the next phase, even for an even more mature organization, bringing on uh, people with different backgrounds and different diversity. Um, a board can really benefit from having people different of different kinds of people. Um, you know, there's a saying that, like, if you had a, you know, I don't know if this is a saying or if I just made it up, but like, if you had one board that was like entirely filled with Harvard graduates and then another board that was Harvard graduates and one person with a high school GED. The, the, the group that has the person with the GED is going to have better outcomes over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as the Harvard graduates are willing to listen to that person. Um, I will put that caveat in there, but because that person helps check the blind spots of, of all of those Harvard grads. Um, so the diversity of education, the diversity of race, gender, you do often see lots of groups that are, are dominated by men. Um, so, you know, those kinds of diversity, um, geographic diversity, you know, a Washington state state that, that ser- a nonprofit in Washington state that serves the entire the entire state likely has a bunch of people from the Seattle Tacoma area and struggle to get people from the other side of the mountains. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that really help as organizations are truly mature is like trying to get um, more representation of the groups that they serve. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I had you know, data that backs it up. And we recently wrapped up our, our board effectiveness survey for 2023. And the outcome of the report, uh, we asked boards of, of all sectors, so nonprofit, credit unions, uh, finance, higher education of, of, of across the board, so to speak, 
um, what are you really effective at? And the number one answer, the number one category is, is board continuity. Hey, we're really good at continuing the work of the board uh, as it stands today and, and doing the processes over and over again. And the least effective boards found themselves at was, was in that, that factor of diversity or bringing in you, new fresh talent to the board. Um, so I don't know if that's, I, I don't know if that's, I don't think that's causation. It's certainly correlation. Um, but from your perspective, and especially with this committee kind of view, how do you bring in that talent? How do you make sure that you're getting diverse voices? Uh, I, I think you had mentioned in the webinar that even having non-board members sit on committee is one of the, the good good ways you can diversify your board. It's, it's helpful as you're recruiting and getting new people to consider working with your nonprofit. Um, not everyone is going to be a good board fit right off of the start. And it's also possible that like, you just don't know, you know, that, that as you're recruiting new people, um, this, this comes up under the lens of diversity, but it also just comes up in general, you know, like this is a person we don't know very well. Um, do we want to bring them onto the board for a three-year term, um, sight unseen, or do we want to test them out for a year on, um, the, the, the finance committee? Um, and that's a good way to find out, does this person work well in groups? Uh, does this person gel well with the executive director and with us? Um, so s- sometimes it's very clear we want this person on the board, and that's great. Um, but if you're not sure, sometimes you can just use committees um, to to give someone a trial um, before perhaps uh, bumping them up to the next level. That's great. Yeah, and I think that that kind of speaks to that talent development pipeline you have to build for your board as well. Like where you're replacing, you you mentioned the treasurer example where you're you're replacing board seats. You know, at the at the the end of their term, you've got to have somebody up and coming to to replace that with the same kind of knowledge and, and working knowledge of the the board's uh, work. So, absolutely, um, th- th- that's good to hear the results of your report because often in my experience. Um, nonprofit boards, uh, they, 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 it's like a pulse. It's like, Oh, we need to recruit. We need to recruit. And they get, they get the people that they need. And then it's just like silence for a couple of years because they're like, we have them. And then people start slowly fading away for whatever reason. And it's like, Oh no, we need to get people again. So a more routine recruiting strategy to get people onto the board. And then, um, an active executive committee, uh, again, the officers of the board that can, help think about who would be set up to be a leader next year. You know, we're losing our secretary. Who should we promote up uh, to secretary? Um, we we do need a, a, you know, a treasurer. Like like a, a small group of the current leaders can help identify the next generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to, to dive a little bit more into those results, I don't have them in front of me here, but um, we also asked um, uh, board professionals, board leaders, there's a good cross-section of industries and um, roles within the board, what are, what are you ineffective at? And we broke that down into the umbrellas of people, process, and technology. So technology would be like, how are you community, communicating, collaborating, Zoom rooms, those type of things. Processes were was really around that governance structure and how do your committees work? How does your board work? And people was around leadership and, and collaboration. Um, it, it turns out that process is the number one source of ineffectiveness with, within boards, whether that's not having a clear mission or vision, whether that's not understanding how boards actually and committees work, or even um, things like just, uh, you know, the board book doesn't come until the day before the meeting. So I, I thought yeah. that was really interesting is that um, despite these being human systems of interaction, that process is, is kind of the, the key driver of effectiveness for boards. 
that's really interesting to uh and and that matches my experience as well as is, is that that the systems and the culture um are just as important as uh you know like the rules like like yeah this is what our bylaws say but really the quality of the board is what are the systems and what's the culture beyond yeah. just that that's great uh, hey, this is a question we ask every every guest we have on the podcast. How did you get your first board seat and what was it? <laughs> you know, that's a really funny uh, story. Um, I Here in Tacoma, we have this annual event and they invited me onto the board. I was 23. Uh, it was a downtown Tacoma event. I was a downtown Tacoma dweller. And my parents, when I was growing up, modeled board service for me. And so I was like, you know, I'm an adult now. I've made it or whatever it is. So I'm like, sure, I'll join your board. And then um, the event happened and it was a big success. Felt good about that. And then at the next board meeting, the director said um, that check um, for this grant, this $30,000 grant still hasn't shown up. Like, oh, that's no good. And then at the next meeting, they're like, it still hasn't shown up. Um, And all of the artists and vendors and everyone are really anxious to get paid. And um, at the next one, they're like, we're not sure it's ever going to show up to this day. I don't know if the director faked the grant or if the granting organization just I don't know. I have no idea what happened. But they said, well, we as the board are financially and legally responsible for this organization and uh, started passing the hat. And that was my very first board experience was learning firsthand in a way most board members never do. Truly, they, they, that is a rare experience on the board. Most boards have directors and officers insurance. Um, this board did not, that I recall. Anyway, I wrote him a $100 check as the 23-year-old guy, and I said, I, I am out. I am sorry. Um, but that'll tell you uh, something about the how much I appreciate board service and the nonprofit work, that I even survived that experience. I, I love this going. as an origin story for, for Eric Andrew, <laughs> <laughs> the board director. Um, yeah, I guess the other option you could say, hey, we're doing a fundraiser in, in relatively a uh, small amount of time. <laughs> yeah, very, very small amount of time. Great. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. I, I really appreciate it. I think you have some, some wonderful insights um, for the audience and for anybody who may be uh, interested in, in your your, uh, what, your four books now for, for nonprofit board governance. Um, four where books, can they yeah. find you and um, what, what can they do to, to get in contact with you? Yeah, I have a website for smallnonprofits.com, and you can see the little book of boards about board governance. And then the other three are probably more tailored to the executive director, one on fundraising, although many boards do read that because many boards are active in fundraising, one on how to be an executive director, and one on like social media and marketing. And they're all uh, links to all of the different stores are there. They're available in all formats. And I will just note if you buy them from me directly, like like for your entire board, uh, there's a big discount and it uh, it can pay off. So for, for smallnonprofits.com. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Eric. And I hope you have a, a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you.